Hello and welcome to Mastering Dungeons. I'm Sean Merwin here with my co-host, Teos Alpha Stream Abadia. So Teos, Woo! we have I am survived ready to cast a pod. Cast a pod. Ah, I just I, made a fishing pod. gesture. Yes, I, yeah. And yeah, because this is a podcast, I, yeah. I yeah. <laughs> That's I was exactly going to say we, we should feel good for surviving this long into 2022. But with that joke, I'm not sure that we have. We may actually be in hell right now. <laughs> we uh, we bring the casting of pods to a fine art. Yes, yeah, the, uh, yes, very a very fine art. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are getting into fizz bands, part eight. We have been discussing this book for eight parts, uh, including this one. But before we get into the goodness, that is the draconomicon of fizzbands we are going to share some news and commentary from this past mm-hmm. week we're going to start off with another person leaving the D team at wizards of the coast uh this is richard witters who as has been the art director uh, at wizards generally the the concept art director but i'm sure he's been in other positions as well Um, And he posted this tweet uh, early last week or at late last week. Um, Well, all today is my last day at Wizards of the Coast. I am moving back to back home to Canada in order to be closer to my family. It has been a joy working on D&D and Magic the Gathering. And I am lucky to have met so many great folks along the way. Stay tuned. Uh, Which, you know, it's sort of shocking, especially if you have worked on, you know, books or visited the Watsi offices uh, you know, Richard's is uh, Richard Witters is a wonderful artist, a wonderful person. Uh, when I was at the office, he made a specific effort to you know come up and talk to me and you know yeah, talk about the work nice. I've done, which was you know amazing because I had had no idea that he even knew who I was. Uh, so that was very cool. Mm-hmm. It just shows you know the, the really great person he is. And you know, first of all, thank you, Richard, for all the work that you've done. And uh, good luck with whatever comes next. Also, another person leaving Wizards. And, yeah, you know, it's we we like to speculate. We like to talk about trends and everything. And it's hard to say if this is just, you know, part of the sort of great resignation that we've seen right. due to the pandemic. If it's anything related to D&D specifically or the way things are running there. Uh it's just hard to say, but it's just another example of a person leaving uh, what for many people would be a dream job. Yeah. Well, you know, I would say that if anybody from Wizards of the Coast is listening, you know, feel free to post. I love working here mm-hmm. uh, because that's always a good indicator when people see that. Right. Um, most people don't because that's just how we are about our lives. We're kind of neutral about things. Right. Um, but uh, but I don't. You know, while we don't know, for sure we don't know what's whether people in there are just super, you know, happy and all is good. Um, or if it's just in a few places that maybe people are having issues. You know, when he says he moves to in order to be closer to their family, I mean, people are working remote. So it seems like that should perhaps be doable. Maybe it's not for his position, mm-hmm. you know, long term. Yeah, it's hard to say. And uh, it's, you know, it's just an interesting way to keep an eye on the industry and on things uh, along the way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which brings us to the next bit of news. There are still four 
D and D job openings at Wizards of the Coast. Uh, now th- these are there are hundreds more openings for other things, but these are just for working <laughs> yeah. on the D and D team. Um, so we still have the senior game designer, the game designer, the senior developmental editor, and the principal art director, which wow. makes a little more sense now. Uh, yeah, why sure why that sure. why that might be open as a job? So those as yeah, you know, we've been talking about some of these job openings for maybe a couple months and and they're still there so if you are so inclined and have the will and the ex- expertise uh they're still out there so you know good luck if you have if you've applied and i just want to point out that this ties into our news of last week uh regarding the the ceo changes because mm-hmm. we, we talked about that last week right i believe so i hope so yeah, yeah. and so um Time is, is it's all it's all relative, right? Uh, I barely know who I am, but um, when you have uh, a new CEO, this also becomes even more interesting. All these sort of openings and positions, because there can be kind of realignment, uh, mm-hmm. but it's also opportunity. Like this is a time when wizards could look and say, you know, why have we lost some folks, and how do we make that change mm-hmm. to to make this really work for everybody who's there currently and for people who are coming in. Yeah. So we'll keep a way. We'll continue to keep an eye on that, uh, on those job openings and any new job openings and any hires uh, that come through the pipe. Uh, So this is a story that I've been actively avoiding, but at some point it just, it, even though I'm avoiding social media a lot and trying not to keep track of certain stories, this one just keeps coming. So it, this is about the new TSR, whatever version you want to call it, 3.5 or plus or whatever. Uh, so, you know, th- we've probably mentioned in the fact that, you know, someone has taken the TSR name and they're trying to get that going apparently although i don't know what they're actually doing i haven't seen them put out any products games or or anything uh which is one of the reasons why i I just ignore it if you're all drama and no substance then you don't rate to even be on the radar but this just keeps coming up if that were the case you would have to resort to something else like right i don't know grabbing headlines with stupidity yes yeah so uh there's an artist who worked at the original tsr uh, who goes by Darlene and she worked on uh, like some of the early Greyhawk maps. Um, one of the TSR logos, the wizard logo. And apparently the new TSR was using that logo with her permission, but then they were going to sign a contract and trying to drag her into this lawsuit that they're, that they have going that gets you know kicked out of court every two weeks. It seems like. Uh, so she publicly uh, basically slapped them saying that she wanted nothing to do with them. And really for those historically minded, she even goes back and says the original TSR wasn't that great in terms of how they treated their workers, in terms of how they yeah. treated women, women and specifically. And, and unless you're going to fix that, I don't want anything to do with you. And you are definitely not fixing that. In fact, you're going in the wrong direction. Yeah. I, I, I thought that was really well said to, to just say, to, to try to dismiss that the myth they've woven in some of the communications around, Oh, it was great in the good old days. Right. right. And, and for her to just say, look, no, I'm not supporting yeah. this. And 
Yeah. And adding more fuel to that, the good old, good old days weren't always good. Tim Kask, who was the first full-time editor that was hired by TSR originally, uh, has apparently gotten into some sort of drama with them as well. Uh, because he posted a private message that was sent to them, sent to him directly by one of the principals of TSR, uh, the current TSR. And it was just horrifying. It was this profanity laden tirade against them. And oh, it was, it was gross. Wow. And, and uh, that was on Facebook, I think, that, that Tim posted this. And, you know, so, and Tim was basically just like, everything that you're saying about me is, is libelous and you know, I don't want anything to do with you. And it was just, <laughs> so, you know, this is one of the first people that worked at, at TSR directly full time, yeah. you know, also cutting ties and showing just the absurdity that is this um, whole situation. And so it's just, it, I, I try to avoid it, but it's there and people are talking about it. So I just wanted to sure. point out to those for those old school folks who, you know, thought that maybe a new TSR would be good for the industry. Uh, I'll <laughs> let you be the judge of whether that's true. Yeah. Or not. yeah, maybe not. Yep. We have a new Magic the Gathering schedule coming, which I will let Teos talk to you about. Yeah, so, you know, every year Magic the Gathering will share what they're doing. And since last year we had the Adventures in the Forgotten Realms set, of course, a lot of us were like, okay, what's going on? And they'd actually given a preview of this, which we talked about on our show, that there would be something this year. And that something is Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate. And this is exciting to both sides, you know, and for the Magic the Gathering side, it's interesting because Commander Legends is a draftable commander experience and it's something that's being brought back and so this creates a neat mechanic for people to play so it's also very cool that it's doing so with the adventures in the forgotten realm set bringing back cards to support that format and i'm sure adding new uh cards and it's worth noting you know we talked about this in a previous show but it's the highest the adventures in the forgotten realm set last year was the highest selling summer card set ever Mm -hmm. And, you know, was it because of the D&D &D angle? Who knows? But it sure didn't hurt it being yeah. the D&D the &D angle. So that's great news. Um, and just part of it, of what was in here, too, the rest of what they're releasing is all, you know, great news if you're into Magic the Gathering. Otherwise, you know, your eyes glaze over. But it's worth noting that there is a Warhammer 40K set mm -hmm. that will also be a collection of Commander decks. That's coming out at the end of the year. So it's just showing how Magic the Gathering is doing that cross-branding thing, which could bring in more gamers to that space. They also see the D&D side, et cetera. So it's more growth opportunities for Wizards overall. Yeah. So great great news for the D&D &D and Magic the Gathering crossover fans. Next, we have three convention uh, announcements. The first is if you are going to Winter Fantasy, which takes place February 2nd through 6th, whether you're playing uh, online or playing in person, uh, online ticket sales have started for Winter Fantasy. So if you go to cart.baldmangames.com, you can start purchasing your tickets. And I believe physical presence ones are already available as well. That is the case, yes. Uh, Gen Con has released news, so their information for their 2022 convention, which is taking place August 4th through 7th in beautiful 
downtown Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, badges will oh, I guess go. That's that's a bold play, Cotton. Yeah, <laughs> badges will go on sale Sunday, January thirtieth. It is a one hundred and twenty-five dollars for a four-day badge. Uh, before you buy your badge, know that all participants must prove that they are vaccinated and will be required to wear masks while in public places. Which um, I believe is true of all three cons, or not, not I believe, it is true of all three cons right. here. And, and that's an interesting thing to note that the sort of, you know, like even Origins, which last year was really bad about its communications around safety and, and seemed to be just trying to get away with packing people in. You know, they had a kid's day, for crying out loud, mm-hmm. when you can't vaccinate kids. Um, this year, it's all requiring vaccinated masks. But as most folks know, with Omicron, being vaccinated is not what it was before, where you really were stopping most infections. Omicron really defeats vaccinations, though it increases survivability heavily. So you want to be mm-hmm. vaccinated, but it is not the proof against transmission right. that we had before. Uh, so that, that's that's tough. It means masking has to be really, really good mm-hmm. and really well enforced for it to be effective. Yep. And yeah, it's an interesting scenario. So we'll see how this develops for a con that's in August. Right. Um, I, I just want to pause a second here because it reminds me of something that I saw. There was a, a, a smaller convention. I don't know. I, I think it's in Detroit. And one of the organizers posted a thread or, or on, I think on their blog that said kind of here's what we're doing and why. You know, like we're, we're mm-hmm. going with our con and here's why. And it was basically there is no clause for getting out of this unless the state does the following things. Right. So we either pay $80,000 of the, our money, which we don't have. Mm-hmm. Or we have to throw this convention. So we are running this convention. We understand if you don't show up, like we just have to, like financially, we can't possibly Mm -hmm. pay this off, which I thought was a very frank and interesting post there. Well, it's, it's good to hear that, right? It's good to hear that because there's so much misinformation out there or information that is, if not an outright lie, it sort of highlights the wrong things. So it's it's good to have all of this information to make these decisions because some people will say, well, if they're holding the convention, it must be safe, which is not necessarily <laughs> the case, right? They're holding the convention because they're going to lose a lot of money if they don't, which is again under it's an understandable thing to have to do as long as you describe why you're doing it and make everyone fully aware of the consequences. Yeah. So the Gen Con housing. Registration will begin on February 13th at noon Eastern. And then on May 15th, event registration for ticketed events will open up at noon Eastern. And the last convention we'll talk about uh, is GameholeCon. They've announced their 2022 dates, which will it will be held October 20th through 23rd. Uh, the porting, the housing portal will open January 15th. So not long after this show drops. Um Exhibitors, demo row, podcasters, artists, and authors can all now apply for space. And Teos and I went to GameholeCon 2021, which was a very good time. And I will definitely think hard about going again. Yeah, my my current plan is to go, but watching all the factors and making sure that that those will work. I also need to look at a possible conflict with my daughters uh, going to college. Mm. So that all involves looking at but if if i can i will they 
partly because they handled COVID so very well last year, mm -hmm. they sent very clear messages about proper masking and I saw nothing but flawless mask wearing while I was there. So, mm -hmm. um, that makes me feel better about game hold and other conventions. So. Yep. So those, that was our convention update. And now and for the, I just oh, want to mention yeah. in case people don't know, because information can be hard to get sometimes if you are still wearing a cloth mask, it's time to upgrade beyond that. Uh, you really want to find N95s. Uh, the Korean versions are great. You know, there are websites out there to tell you how to buy them. They're, mm -hmm. they're fairly affordable when you rotate between four masks. So pick up that information and, and upgrade from your cloth mask for safety. Just even, not just even convention stuff, but just your everyday life. Yep. So Teos, you were on Dragon Talk about making magic items. Awesome. This was your, what, third show in a very short amount of time? I, um, I, I, you know, sometimes I feel like I need to tell shows like maybe pick somebody else. Like, I don't want to like hog it, but, um, but at the same time, I do like to talk. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> I, I can attest to it. You do. And, <laughs> and amazingly, you're pretty good at it. So that's, that's why they uh, keep inviting you back. Either that, or oh. you have some blackmail material on someone there at the show. I cannot confirm or deny. Okay. But so, the pictures of Greg Tito are amazing. That's, that's true. Uh, no, but we talked magic items, and that was a lot of fun. And, uh, and I think it was useful information. So check out the episode on so you can hear how to make magic items awesome. But also on that show, I was very happy to see that Eliza Pearl was there. Uh, and she's fantastic. I've played with her on a couple of streams uh, and even on a D&D. &D, um, I forget it was D&D &D Live, something like that. One, one of those uh, Bald Man Games things. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, we played a game in Spanish together. Uh, and so she shares all these, dare I say, pearls of wisdom. Mm, I see what you did there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how to approach DMing, uh, talks about acting and improv background and how to use those tools in DMing. So there's some really neat uh, pieces there that she approaches from, even though she's been doing a lot of RPGs, sort of as a new D&D &D DM. So I, I'd, I'd recommend that listen. And she also at the end has this um, uh, idea for a show that's been kind of driving me wild the more I think about it. And it's the idea of like, I mean, they, they kind of said like a, a, well, it's the idea of wealthy women who would, instead of playing bridge or doing something else like that, decide to try D&D. &D. Mm -hmm. And you'd go back and forth between like their characters and them doing this. And the more I think about the ideas they were talking about, I just start spiraling into like how I wish I were an actual script writer and I could write something decent about this because just, I think it could be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> I will. I could go on forever about something like that, but I will say mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> sign, sign me up. Uh, well, and, you can tell yeah, me about Ghostfire. I can. Uh, we've had our first release of our first Fable. So Fables is a subscription service, $15 a month, that provides an adventure path style adventure each month. Um, so the first Fable, which kicked off January 1st, is now out. Um, the first chapter of the first uh, episode is free that you can find online at ghostfiregaming.com. Uh, with each episode, you get digital maps, digital tokens, if you play online, plus a pretty significant adventure. The idea for the adventure is you can play once a week for you know three or four hours and never run out of content for the whole six months run of the adventure. 
So there That's are six awesome. six episodes once a month, uh, and it takes place in the Empire of Astoya, which is sort of the area controlled by undead. So it's dark, it's gloomy, it's sort of you know a little gothic in nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sun has vanished from the sky. Vampires rule the land, and you are thrust into not only a cool adventure, but sort of the history of Astoya and how it came to be what it is will be revealed over the course of this adventure. Nice. So are you saying it's a dark sun or it's no sun? It's, I, it, it is, it is a no sun. It's actually no a very, sun. Okay. it's spoiler. It's a very bright sun. You just can't <laughs> see it. I always think of yeah. the Benny Arcade comic where he's talking yeah. about running Dark Sun and they're like, wait, I see the sun? We were sold a bill of goods. <laughs> Lies. Lies. <laughs> um, well, that's great. And and just so folks know, I mean, Sean works at Ghostfire, but I put this item on here. Uh, I've I've uh, subscribed to this service and, and, mm-hmm. and I and I think it's noteworthy. So, yep. you know, it's good. I start running the this adventure a week from, well, no, I think I'm going to start this week. I think this is the week we set up for our, we've had our session zero. We're ready for our first uh, playthrough of the first chapter. That's awesome. Yep. Looking forward to it. But with all that out of the way, we can now get into the meat of this show, the dragon haunch of this show, which is Fizzbands (laughs) part eight. We're going to check chapter five out, which is the Draconomicon. So it's a, it's a lot of pages. It is. It is not skimpy on word count and page count. That's for sure. Uh, so th- this was, I've been waiting as I'm reading this book, as you and I have been reading this book, one chapter at a time. We're not skipping forward to see what's there. Or at least I'm not. You might be cheating, but I'm not. Uh, and, no, no. and I've been, you know, I'm like, okay, cool. Chapter one, player stuff. Yeah, whatever. Okay. Chapter two. You know, this chapter three that we're sort of working our way. And I'm like, I want to know about dragons. I want to know all about all the dragon goodness. So I'm like, okay, maybe this chapter will be where I get to the dragon goodness, where I hear about all these dragons. And, and, uh, yeah, I feel like I've been getting hints about them and getting these grand stories and how they fit into everything. But okay, now give me the good stuff. And right away, we're told this uh, this chapter, they do a very good job, actually, of spelling this out. They say we're going to go alphabetically through each type of dragon, including the, the new gem dragons. Um, that We're told for each dragon, we're going to get the following, tailored to the, that particular dragon they're covering. One, creating a dragon. They're like, okay, if you read chapter three, you can get the personalities of dragons and so on, but we're going to talk about creating dragons. Okay, cool. Next, they're going to talk about dragon adventures. And again, they refer back to chapter three about different types of dragon adventures. But now we're going to get specifically into adventures for each dragon. Cool. Uh, Next, they're going to talk about dragon layers for each dragon. And like, okay, check out chapter four if you want to know the basics of it. But here comes the good stuff. I'm like, okay, cool. (laughs) We're going to talk about dragon treasures. And then they say, again, chapter four, we talked about hordes and so on, but now we're going to talk about the treasure. And then we're going to have sidebars throughout with dragons of legend. So dragons throughout the lore of D&D and where they fit within uh, this hierarchy. 
Whew. All right. So I'm, 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 I'm ready. You've told me what you're going to show me. I'm ready. Now show me. But I want to stop yeah. here for just a second. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because par- as, as a, not just a game designer, but someone who puts books together now and wants information in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing. I want to know, do we want to know about monsters or creatures, what they are quote unquote, typically like, because when we get to see the first dragon, the amethyst dragon, they don't give you lore. They, you start right off with a list of potential personality traits, but they don't say amethyst dragons are generally blah. And and so part of me went, no, but I want to know that. And then another part of me went, but that's what we're fighting against, isn't it? When when we say we don't want to, we don't want all orcs to be a certain way. We don't want all goblins to be a certain way. Do we want all dragons to be a certain way by type? I don't know. Do we? Don't we? Is that is that something it's, we're trying to move away fan. from? Yeah, it's a fantastic question. Uh, and, and I know with some other designers, you know, we've had some conversations in group chats about, you know, what, what do you do when you when you start doing this? And it's easy to think of one example like orcs, but then as soon as you start just thinking more widely, it's a great question. Um, I, I found myself wanting that because I have not memorized, maybe someone out there has memorized what all dragons are like across the various editions. But I don't remember. I mean, Amethyst is, you know, quote unquote new. It's not really, but it's somewhat new. Uh, but even like a black dragon versus a blue dragon, like I have a decent idea of the differences, but certainly not for things like brass versus bronze. I can make mm-hmm. a few guesses, but I can't write a paragraph from memory on it. So when I'm reading this book, unless I open up the monster manual, then I'm kind of like looking at it, it's like, oh, okay, well, they list some militaristic things and personality traits. So I guess they're sort of into military and culture and things like that. But I, so I missed it. I kind of want yeah. to see that because I think then the, these tables kind of help me break type anyway. Yeah. Well, the, the tables are interesting in that they, they, they set type, but then break type. So if you, mm-hmm. when we look at the Amethyst Dragon, we'll see that you know, all of the personality traits that are listed sort of point toward this knowledge, uh, keen on knowledge and kind of contemplative. Um, so you're actually setting a standard in those, but then you can give one trait that goes against all the others. So it, yeah. it, it sort of, even the way they do it sort of does uh, create this, typical dragon if you take all of the words that are given into context my general thinking is that you sort of to address your broad question of of what what do we want or what should the design be like i think that in general what we're looking at is culture versus inherent right right is is, okay is probably the safest way to address it and the the most true way to address it so that we might say things like amethyst dragon culture tends to prize the following things. Um, yeah. this, but of course, it can vary by world, right? But this is what you're most typically going to find, not because they're all like that, but because that's what has been happening, right? It's the whole n- nurture versus nature thing. Um, 
and and I would like to know that, right? Like, what is it? You know, what do they tend to favor historically, right? Like, I I think brass dragons sort of running around raiding ships, mm -hmm. right, or being interested in in ships and coastal areas like that makes sense. Blue dragons favoring the desert, like that is a yeah. thing that you want to know, right? Um, green dragons forests, like th these things make sense and are important to establish because they are cool, they are useful, they are you know, something that, that both player and DM can feed off of. And then you can also play against that trope, of course, but, mm -hmm. but it's good to establish something around what is expected, you know, <laughs> cloud giants, like clouds, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, I, I get the sort of nurture versus nature culture versus inherent traits. Uh, but it seems like maybe the only if if we we attribute negative traits to something mm. it becomes problematic but if we attribute positive traits it's okay <laughs> even even if it is inherent yeah oh. I, it's it's tricky i mean I'm, okay. it's, I'm certainly i'm struggling with this too but i will say that i, I just peaked I, I did cheat and i looked you at the bestiary for amethyst dragons i know i know but i just i just just quickly glancing and I see things like they loathe the corruption that accompanies such intrusions from the far realm into the world, making them, you know, so it's, okay. it's going to have that sort of stuff in the bestiary. Right. Okay. So I wonder if this was not actually a deliberate thing and to, to not typecast. Okay. But whether it was more like their thinking is you're going to look at the bestiary. Here's your personality traits for that. Okay. Know. All right. That, I wonder. Yeah. It, I don't know. Well, n knowing that they do give that sort of rundown for the different dragon types in the bestiary makes more sense now to see them do this because then yeah. you can take the differences, take the uniqueness from that, uh, even though it's in a later chapter. But but it is an interesting question, I think, design-wise, which I had not considered until you said this you know, just now. Like, maybe one way to design is like this where you give this table of sort of things like personality traits which will will hint at themes but also play against them so you can kind of choose right like yeah yeah that's that's fascinating huh mm -hmm. yeah it's something that if you start creating creatures or even more specifically types of creatures for play uh and publication you you have to keep that in mind so it's just just throwing that out there. Uh, yeah, that's cool. So we were promised creating a dragon, dragon adventures, dragon layers, dragon treasure, and dragons of legend. So what do we actually get? If we look at the creating an amethyst dragon section, plus some of the other sections, here's what we actually get. We get a table of personality traits and ideals uh, for the different types of dragons. For certain dragons, we get additional spell casting. This would be spell cast spells they can cast if they don't have sp specific spells chosen. Mm -hmm. We get adventure hooks, sometimes uh, broken down by age categories. We get creatures that are connected or can be connected to the dragon, um, sometimes also by age category. Uh, now, what what did you know about this connected creature setting? So these are interesting sections. Sometimes it'll be like, yeah, this 
dragon has a bunch of bugbears working for it. But sometimes it's like, oh, this amethyst dragon hangs out with a cloud giant. And so my immediate thought was, wait, those are like both CR9. Now we're talking about a whole like, you know, a atypical setup. But I think they vary it enough that it's probably okay that it, that it, it, it can work or it can give you ideas. Because okay. I, I think at first I was sort of literally thinking like, you know, the instructions are pair a young amethyst, amethyst dragon and a cloud giant. I'm like, well, that's... That's rough because, and just to, to give the inside baseball thing, when you're designing that, if that's your final battle, all the things inside have to be really tough too, meaning actually as tough as a young amethyst dragon right. throughout the adventure, right? Or it's a very short adventure. Sure. You could space out the cloud giant and the young amethyst dragon. And so I started like breaking it down like that and getting a little sort of upset about this. But then I thought, you know, these are just ideas. Yeah. And, and, and as I read more and more of them, I realized... These are just concepts and you can play with it. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's not, it's not, I, I don't think it's a problem now that I think about it, now that I thought about it more widely. Right. Okay. Uh, so we also get for certain dragons, additional layer actions they might take for some dragons. We get additional, oh, we're going to complain about those Sean. regional effects. I'm not going to complain about anything. I'm all <laughs> sunshine and joy today. Uh -huh. And then we get sidebars as promised with famous dragons of that type. Uh, then we also get a dra dragon layers for each dragon or a dragon layer for most dragons, mm -hmm. um, a map for most of those, plus some things that you can throw in. Um, and then we get... Yeah, and they, and they oh, tell us that we can change the scale of the map, uh, which mm -hmm. is sort of interesting. You know, like, oh, if it's a wormling, you know, make your squares five feet instead of 10 feet. Or if it's an ancient dragon or a great worm, make them 20 feet. I'm like, okay, yeah, I guess that's fine. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. And... Uh, so if a map is provided, we get some descriptions about features that are on the map. Again, it's not as detailed as an adventure would be, but it's just like, hey, it would be cool if here you had sarcophagi in this mm -hmm. this uh, area of this map. And then we get the treasure, the typical or ideas for some types of treasure that a dragon would favor and a table of random art objects. I don't know why yeah, it's only it's strange objects. that it's yeah. always art objects, right. but I guess maybe the idea is that's a way to tell, like maybe the, the type of treasure that gives you the most story potential. Yeah. So, okay, that's fine. It's sort of a proxy for telling a story and I'm okay with it. What I want to know is when will dragons get NFTs as treasure? <laughs> <God>. <laughs> I just, I'm sorry. Oh. I just killed uh -huh. Thomas. Uh -huh. that, that, yeah. that wasn't, that wasn't kind. All right. I is dead. Yeah. So let's, we are not going to go through every single type of dragon and every single uh, category of thing within the dragon. You uh, coward. This would be a yes. great 10-hour episode. This this would be a great, <laughs> probably, yeah, 10 hours at least. Because there's, what, 30-some dragons and then mm -hmm. uh, lots of stuff for each. Uh, but we'll, we'll do the Amethyst Dragon first. One, because it's the first one. Two, because it's not a dragon that many people are familiar with uh, unless you've studied gem dragons in previous editions. So right from the start, the first thing I noticed, as I mentioned earlier, was there's not even a short phrase about what an amethyst dragon might be. To be honest, I don't even know what color amethyst is. <laughs> so I wouldn't even be able to describe the dragon for you. With the uh, assumption that if you go to the next chapter, there's a bestiary that will give you uh, Amethyst Dragon stats, at least, and hopefully more. Uh, so 
first thing we get, as promised, uh, creating the dragon, its personality. We get personality traits. So we have a table with eight uh, traits. And if you read them through, they sort of all point in sort of a knowledge direction, this contemplative thinking about reality, understanding metaphysics, et cetera, et cetera. So you get without that sentence that says amethyst dragons tend to be contemplative and care about knowledge. You sort of get that idea if you read through these eight traits. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is just to say again, it's hugely different than what say the third edition Draconomicon, which I think for most people is their favorite Draconomicons would do where it started with like physiology. It would look at like how a dragon eye works, how it's breath device works across all dragons. And then it would go in and would say, here's everything about black dragons. And it would, it would really like describe them and give you example dragons and, and all of this. And so it was a much more of like walk you through it kind of thing. And and, Mm -hmm. and here, this is, yeah, different. Yeah. It's very different. It's not just different in the information that they give, but it's very different in how they give that information. Yeah. Right. These tables are, these tables are tables and it's, for me, I ignore tables. I've trained <laughs> my brain to ignore tables because I never, I've never used them in a game except to even like first edition random magic item table. I would be much more likely to pick the perfect thing for the group or to pick something that would be interesting than to roll anything random. So when I see a table, this the the lizardy part of my brain has been trained <laughs> to just go it's a table i just i don't even right. care get to the meat but this is right. the meat the, the, this is the meat and it's okay that this is the meat right uh-huh. it it's fine this is a perfectly fine cromulent way to do it <laughs> i just have to as someone who has trained myself to think and act in certain ways to stop and say all right just because this is not in bullet form or paragraph form doesn't mean it's not important, interesting, fun information. Yeah, if we think of like 3E, what 3E did with the Draconomicon is they would say, okay, amethyst dragon, here's an example amethyst dragon with a stat block, with a lair, and what it does, and its story, with the concept being, now that you've seen what I did here, you could make your own, or just use this, but you can drop it in, right? And I think if we look at the 5e DMG and how it often approaches its sort of adventure tables, building stuff, that tends to be a process where at the end you have a thing you can use, right? Mm-hmm. Design an NPC, design an adventure. It's sort of like, here's your campaign concept, your hook, here's what's involved, here's what you need to do to resolve it, and go, right? But here, none of this is drop in or ready to use. It's all concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, part of me is like, that's cool. If I want to have something that's not concept, if I want something concrete, I will create it or I will buy an adventure mm-hmm. that has a concrete thing for me to use. So, well, And I guess that's, yeah. you know, what I don't know is for the average person that's buying this book, which is nothing at all like you and I probably. Right. <laughs> you know? Um how does this work, right? Because 
like an example adventure hook, just so folks that don't have the book know what we're talking about. Yep. Adventure hook for Amethyst Dragons. One that I liked was an Amethyst Dragon recruits a group of adventurers to f- psychically trade bodies with adventurers from another world so that each can carry out certain tasks before swapping back. Mm-hmm. And then Connected Creatures has things like a deep pool in a young Amethyst Dragon lair leads to the underground domain of an Aboleth the dragon has been seeking to eliminate. Right. So they're concepts, right? And and yeah. does a new DM go, this is awesome. Let me bust out my DMG and my monster manual and start making stuff. Or do they go, I don't know what to do with this concept. Yeah. And, and it's, it's likely both. Uh, it's likely both. And maybe the person saying, well, this is cool. Let me break out my stuff. Uh, does it terribly. And, and learns from the experience as we all have yeah, in the past uh, or in the future, for, in my case, <laughs> probably. But so, yes, it it is. And the, the other thing about all those things you just read are you could say a black dragon recruits from adventurers mm-hmm. to cyclically trade bodies with adventurers. You could easily say a topaz dragon uh, in a deep yeah. pool sends to eliminate the Aboleth. It it. They're cool adventure ideas. They're cool hooks. They're cool connected creatures. Uh, but they don't really, at least in the ad- examples that you gave, specifically speak to an amethyst dragon as opposed to you know, an alchemist or right. a Medusa or whatever right. you want to throw in there. Well, and I have to think, you know, I'm curious how many people worked on this chapter and whether they split things up or was, you know, was this like all James White or something? But I think this would have been a really hard writing assignment to come up with this, you know, eight adventure hooks that are, that feel like that dragon for all these different dragons. Yeah. Oof. Hats yeah. off to the team. <laughs> yeah. As someone who's created tables, double hats mm-hmm. off because that is not easy. Uh, no. And then if you farm it out to different folks, you start getting, re- you know, repeats. Mm-hmm. It, and to the point where it's almost like word for word, yeah. even if you, you know, work uh, you right. know, very independently and are very different creators, it's very easy to fall into a trope that uh, is copied. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I, I like these. Like, I want to make mm-hmm. the, that clear that, like, yeah. for what this is, you know, once they've chosen their approach, this is really, I think they're great. Like they're, they're fun ideas. Almost every table as I read through various tables here had something, at least one entry that I was like, Ooh, this is cool. And often too, mm-hmm. this is a cool hook. This is a neat idea. That's a fun relationship. And that it's pointing at the kind of D&D that I think we want to see more of these days where there's a neat story underpinning mm-hmm. and there's sort of raw energy to be played with, right? A young amethyst dragon and a cloud giant regularly host each other to play strategy games. That can lead in a lot of directions. You know, the cloud giant's about to arrive, or they are feuding over the last play, or any number of things, right? We could play one against the other, or we could, you know, there's yeah. just so much that could happen just based on that little idea we're given. Yeah. And to be clear, some of these hooks, some of these connections are very specific to the type of dragon that we are talking about, uh, you know, connected creatures. The first one is an amethyst dragon. Wormling is in the care of a cloistered religious order of scribes. Well, if amethyst dragons are all about the knowledge and being mm-hmm. uh, contemplative, then it makes perfect sense that the wormling would be there uh, with, with that group. 
so yeah, they do sort of lean in in the right direction most of the time. Right I mean, direction. And the, in and terms the clear of winner yeah. is item five. A cloister of flumps protects yes. an amethyst dragon wormling while feeding off of its excess psionic energy. I mean, uh, obviously, they just strong play. They should have just called it the Flumphenomicon. Is really <laughs> that would have been a win, win, win. Uh, oh, man. In old That's business great. terms. Uh, so we, you know, we got the uh, personality traits, the ideals. We'll hop back to that real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the six, was it six ideals? Uh, yes, yeah. the six ideals for the Amethyst Dragon character is balance, knowledge, self-improvement, responsibility, noble obligation, and power. And so all, most of them are either neutral or any. Uh, well, there's one lawful. Now, I believe that the gem dragons are typically neutral, um, but we do get this sort of law, good and evil. The power is the evil uh, one, and yeah, you know, makes it makes sense, and it yeah. gives a little bit of a twist on that idea of knowledge, uh, you know, being equal to power and using that knowledge to get what you want at any price. And that's and, and like you were saying before, you know, this is a great way of breaking that away from the trope, right? Like, oh, mm-hmm. they're typically neutral, but hey, what if not, right? Yep. yep. And so we, we get connections uh, for ancient adult, young adult, wormling, and and then we get into layers. Uh, so we get a layer map as well as a description that says they prefer to live near water, mountain lakes. Taking, taking advantage of existing caves and tunnels. Um, a cascading waterfall is great to hide an entrance or the lair could be submerged. Uh, you know, they like to be around amethyst crystals, including massive maybe, cathedral geodes. This is the closest thing to that summary we were talking about. Yeah. Uh, this and the treasure piece where they'll they'll start with some, you know, amethyst dragons prefer layers near like this is where they're telling you almost like what an important yeah. part of what an amethyst dragon is. Right. Um, and, and so I thought that was sort of interesting that that like it's almost like you want a book that clips this together so you'd know what your types are. <laughs> or, you know, right. you want to click through this when you're trying to think what is an amethyst dragon? Well, you want to look at its layer and you want to look at its treasure. Yeah, uh, that's going to tell you a lot about what it's about. Right. Um, and so we get then along with the map, we get layer features. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you can take these features, even though they're discussing it about this specific map and use it for your own. There are two entrances, one on the rock face and one below the surface of the, the underwater passage. Um, there are some main caves. There are glowing crystals. There are chimneys that connect levels. Uh, and, and they're magical. Vertically. <laughs> Yeah, for, they're magical in that uh, when you like fly through the top one, you still see like a, a sort of portal up above that'll take you through to the lower ones. It's almost like a continual elevator type right. teleporter thing, which is interesting and some illusions in the layer and stuff. It's kind of cool. Yeah. And then we get the dragon, the amethyst dragon treasures. Uh, so we get, you know, crystals and gems. Obviously, they've already talked about that, especially amethysts themselves, raw polished or cut forms. They love scholarly or philosophical works as part of their hoard, books, scrolls, carved tablets, um, tapestries, 
or woven tomes of embroidered cloth, scientific instruments, religious icons, uh, all of these things, again, harken back to the knowledge uh, and sort of the esoteric nature of the Amethyst Dragon. And then a table of eight dragon art objects. Uh, I like that they made one of them a crystal skull. I thought that's fun. Um, and, and yeah, and so it gives you some ideas of things that could be in this layer or really any of them. So it, one thing that's nice about this is it sort of doubles as a crash course in how to make art objects interesting, which is nice. Yeah. So that is how they handled the Amethyst Dragon, what they included. And, you know, they do the same then for black dragons, for all the other dragon types that have been mentioned so far. Uh, I want to talk just briefly about how this information is presented, because this, again, sort of harkens back to how do you set up a book in the best possible way for their, the users to get the information they need when they need it. And I have come to the conclusion that there is no right way. There are just a lot of wrong ways. Uh, because as you said, this is great information. But if you are then trying to create a dragon and a lair and an adventure, there is no one place to go in this book. Right. You have to go back to chapter three to get that information, then chapter four to get that information. Then here, chapter five, to put it all together for a specific dragon type. And then probably the next chapter to get the actual stat block for the dragon. Yeah. And you may learn something new then as you're reading through that stat block. So uh, this is definitely not the book where, as Teos mentioned earlier, if you're new to D and D you're going to plop it down in front of you to a specific page and get everything you need. Mm -hmm. You know, this is as the amethyst dragon would one book that you want to carefully peruse taking your time to think through and make notes and put things together slowly. Yeah. The other thing I found myself thinking about here is that so I'm reading all these adventure hooks and then I'm like, we already covered sort of dragon adventures. And this chapter has almost made me forget those lessons because they don't weave in in any way. Right. And, and so this whole like, dragons and play chapter three where you know followers and role-playing dragons and all of that felt very separate from this mm -hmm. um right and, and i don't know and more yeah, importantly like, that you know where the the guts of your adventure is and where all of that meshes together Right. Yeah. You're getting the strands as you go, but you're not shown how to mesh it together. And that's what's important uh, yeah. to make the players feel uh, enmeshed in the in the world, in the adventure, in the plot thread that runs through all of this. That's where the, the role playing brilliance lies, uh, the, why this game is as great as it is. And it makes it hard to put those pieces together by having the information spread out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, as you said, nothing's perfect. It, it's sort of like whatever method you choose, it's going to have weaknesses. And so mm -hmm. you have to sort of lean in it to compensate for it. Yep. Um, this is certainly useful. This is not like some failure by any stretch of the imagination, but, but the weakness is that it lacks that drop in ability that I think would be really 
useful. Yeah. And, and even as you become a very experienced DM, you want things like that, that sort of inspire you. And this inspires you only at the very kind of conceptual stage. Mm -hmm. And, and I wish that what it could do more easily, it doesn't have to be that it's a whole drop in thing, the way that third edition is like the entire layer map all goes together. But maybe that if I could have gone through a process of like step one, step two, step three, step four, and then had a thing mm -hmm. that would have really made this more useful because I don't know that any of this, it, this gives me ideas. It doesn't save me time. Right. Um, True. And it doesn't produce a result. It's like, it's starting stuff. It's all, it's all fuel rather than yeah. <laughs> blaze. Right. Yeah. I, I maybe would have, when you put that dragon, when you put the layer map in, give just a hair more information and show where you got that information. So, you know, give the layer map and maybe say this layer would be great for this type of adventure, this type of story. And then, you know, in the the upper levels of this layer are where the connected creatures live. Uh, this is where the yeah. cloistered monks live who who, uh, you know, who keep take care of this amethyst dragon. This is where the flumps live. Uh <laughs> And they will come and rush to the uh, defense of the dragon if the characters go down into the main layer instead of up into their chambers. You know, just something to, to put it together. And then this is the story of why the characters would be entering the layer in the first place. Uh, yeah. And how that makes the layer work uh, in a certain way. And if you're going to have this previous dragons and play chapter that has adventure ideas and campaign ideas there. How do you tie into that? Because if I have, um, you know, like for example, one of the really neat black dragon adventure hooks is the acidic bile of a black dragon is the only substance able to melt the lock of a despot's vault. Like that's really cool. How does that tie into all these other things we talked about earlier? Does it not at all? Then why were those important? Mm -hmm. And, and so to show that, why those things are important and how to place them together would have been really useful. And, and just even, even if this isn't a process as you go through it to just show an example of how that is the case. Yep. Um, we talked about this with the campaigns one where they sort of just gave you rough ideas, but they don't tell you what the campaign feels like. And I think a little more of that solidity would, it would help a lot of DMS here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can we also talk about some of these like extra little bits that come in for the other uh, dragons, like yeah. spell casting? Sure. So we get spell casting, and an example for black dragons is that each age category gives you a spell. So at the end of it, you would end up with blindness, deafness, creator, destroy water, insect plague, and plant growth. Mm -hmm. I think these are always fine. I feel the same way with subclasses that they, these things sort of never super please me or inspire me. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah. okay, like. Does this help so much? Right. Uh, uh, they also note that they can cast these spells. The dragons can cast these spells uh, once per day mm -hmm. or once per long rest, and they don't need components. Uh, but I agree. You know, here are spells. Tell me how they're useful for them, if, if they're useful. Uh, how right. would a, a blue dragon use major image? when dealing not e not even in combat per se 
but in their overall life. Right. How does create destroy water work? Well, they can create water to give to their followers who live in the desert and they become their sort of own oasis. Perfect. Makes right. sense. Just give, give me that note. Right. Plant growth is used to create obscuring plants so that, you know, you don't have clear sight lines or uh, they create yeah. pools of water throughout their area. You know, okay. Like help me understand there are insects buzzing all over the place because of this use of insect plague all the time. Okay. Yep. yep. Yeah. So then we have uh, additional layer actions for some dragons, and this tends to be the ones that uh, are older dragons. And some of them are great conceptually, right? So like the black dragon has filth burst, <laughs> chooses a point on the ground it can see within 120 feet, a 20 foot radius, 20 foot high cylinder of watery filth centered on that point erupts from the ground until initiative count 20 on the next round. You can imagine it, very cinematic. Mm -hmm. Each creature when the cylinder appears, or each creature in the cylinder when it appears, or that ends its turn there must make a con saving throw, DC 15, or it takes 10 poison damage on a failed save, or half as much damage on a successful one. So that's 3d6. Cylinder's difficult terrain. And immediately we have to think of what we talked about last time, which is what age category is for the, is this for? Yeah, right. Yep. Um, what level party is this meant to be for? And a lot of them are like that. There are a few that work sort of regardless, uh -huh. um, but they tend to be just really wild in terms of how they've chosen. I mean, like, you know, a, a pit for the blue dragon that causes seven bludgeon damage and you're prone. I mean, at first level, that's actually really bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but beyond that, it's kind of doesn't matter at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It it needs yeah and as we as we discussed last show right in 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 version 5.5 of dnd you know give me layer actions that i can use anywhere anytime and that i can do by tier or do by character level rather than these one size fits all things that don't fit any size yeah yeah. Um, so they're neat ideas, you know, for all these layer actions that there are a number that I thought were really cool conceptually, but, um, but th that lack of scaling, uh, you know, and if they just said like, you know, use the charts for trap damage or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, right. You know, deals bludgeoning damage and then, you know, deals lightning damage and then just tell me, use the trap mm -hmm. rules. Yeah. Done. Right. Like there's a scaling mechanic the game already has. Um, which is probably what I would suggest to anyone out there is don't, don't go by whatever this says, because it's, it's, yeah. it's sort of in a weird void. Yep. Um, we have regional effects and, uh, those are kind of interesting. There tends to be one, which is the idea of if a creature has lived in the area for a year, this is what the tends to happen. So like blue dragons, creatures that spend a year within one mile of the dragon's lair, find blue objects fascinating and feel compelled to acquire them at every opportunity. Yeah. And I like that. And you then can then take it as far as you want as a DM. It could be just, Oh, look, everyone is collecting blue things. When you, when you get into town, everybody wears blue clothes everybody's using blue tools <laughs> uh, or it can be as you know wild as people are attacking each other to get their their blue 
blue stuff. Uh huh. Yeah. The color of royalty or something. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then you have regional effects that are more, you know, that that aren't of that sort of one year method, and they're usually one or two other ones. So like. Uh, a brass dragon has cloud companion. A small wispy cloud follows non-evil creatures as they journey within six miles of the dragon's lair. It changes direction as the creatures do, remaining interposed between them and the direct glare of the sun, and grants them advantage on saving throws to resist the effects of extreme heat. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So there's some neat ideas there um, that, that are fun. And, and again, I think what they mainly do is give you that inspiration to do what you want to do with these kinds of effects. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is then these famous dragons, right? So we get um, each, each almost, almost each section, maybe even each section has a, a famous dragon sidebar that will say things like, you know, guardian of the cursed city of Haka Torvak, the bl black great worm Rashak lives deep in the jungles of Kabara and the world of Eberron, where he is worshipped as the incarnation of a god by numerous kobolds, dragonborn, and lizard folk, has existed for millennia as the primary guardian of the imprisoned fiend Masveric, uh, who once held dominion over reptilian creatures, but doing this has corrupted Rashak, and fortunately Rashak is bound to the city, but if anything were to happen to change that balance, then it might be really bad news as Rashak and his legions uh, could go out and cause all kinds of havoc. But, yeah. Okay. Neat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's they're, they're neat bits of lore or, you know, stories if you want to take them to the next level. Mm -hmm. yeah. So any other, any other thoughts on this chapter uh, beyond what we've talked about as it being a great well for yeah. ideas uh, for your dragons or for you know, campaigns or adventures with dragons? I wanted a map for every dragon. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, I went to the look at the, and some of the maps are amazing, like the green dragon uh -huh. one, which is inside of a tree and then down below amongst the roots. Uh, but, you know, I go to the shadow dragon and no map. And I'm like, oh, what? Like, yeah. I want that. Yeah. Um, and yeah. the style is that of a battle map done by Dyson Logos. Very cool. Love mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also really like the 3E Draconomicon would have a combination map and art. And mm. I thought that was really neat, too. I really liked how they would show what the place looked like from afar. These do that sometimes. So, I mean, it's not bad, but it, it, sometimes it'll show the um, a little bit of a profile picture or something like that to give you an idea of the natural features. Yeah. And I think that's something that is really perfect for these kinds of maps where you want to know what, you know, lonely mountain looks like or whatever it is mm -hmm. that you're, you're casting as your place where your dragon is. Yeah. And also there tends to be a high amount of three dimensionality. Mm -hmm. So it's helpful to see different views of it. Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. the maps. Want more. Yep. Same here. Cool. So, uh, you listeners out there, if there was something specific about a type of dragon that you saw that you wanted to mention, hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what you thought was cool or weird or overpowered or underpowered or out of place. Um, and we can definitely talk about it. But we, like we mentioned earlier, we don't want to spend 10 hours going through <laughs> each type of dragon. So uh, we will spare you that. But in the meantime, thank you all for being listeners. And thank you to our patrons. Yeah. Sean, another thing is that next chapter is the bestiary. 
Yeah. And that's the end of Fizzband, so we'll have to think about what to do next. So that's another area where listeners could perhaps uh, weigh in. Yeah, please help future Sean and future Teos uh, figure out what we're doing by letting us know what you want us to talk about next. Uh, For our patrons, thank you. If you would like to become a patron of the show, you can go to patreon.com slash MMP. Teos, other than being an unofficial co-host of Dragon Talk now, (laughs) where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at AlphaStream on Twitter. You can find me uh, on my on the web at alphastream.org, where I will have an announcement this week if I can work things out with uh, DriveThru RPG over what is and isn't an OGL product. Uh, there'll be a release this week that'll be based on that Dragon Talk uh, oh, nice. a- appearance that I did, and that'll be something that people can get. Sweet. Some more news next week. Awesome. I will be looking forward to that. You can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Mastering DND. Mastering Dungeons is a misdirected Mark production. Now that we have mastered the Draconomicon, what are we going to do now? <laughs> well, I think that I'm going to draw all the layers that I didn't get in the book because I, I really want that. Yeah, I'm going to pull out my dice and I'm going to roll on every single table. (laughs) I know you know. You will not. (laughs) That's what I know. (laughs)